Today we are continuing our study of Jesus, and we're going to be talking about the deity of Christ, which is something that we mentioned briefly uh, in our study of the Trinity. So we're going to be going over some of the same material and then also going a little bit further on this. This is basically going to be covering the rest of the first sentence in our statement of faith, which uh, says that we believe that Jesus the Christ is God the Son, and that he has eternally existed without any beginning. And hopefully we'll be able to cover uh, the rest of that today. So we begin in the Old Testament, Isaiah 9, verse 6, where Isaiah says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, uh, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so there you have um, a child is going to be born, and this child is going to be the Mighty God. Uh, Everlasting Father, by the way, is probably better understood as um, Father of Eternity. So it's, this is not referring to, obviously, Jesus is not the Father. Uh, this is just a way of saying that he's existed eternally. So you have uh, Isaiah's prophecy that a child would be born, and this child would be the eternal, mighty God. And we see the fulfillment of that in Matthew 1, uh, where the angel appears to Joseph in verse 20. It says, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so uh, you have Isaiah's prophecy that the, the child would be God in flesh, and you have uh, here the angel saying the very same thing, that this child that would be born Jesus is God dwelling among us. Now we'll move to Jesus' statements of his, his own deity. Uh, often, uh-oh, we got something going on out here. Okay. Uh, often you'll hear the charge that Jesus never actually claimed to be God. Have you ever heard that before? Uh, that Jesus never actually said that he was God. Um, and while it is true, Jesus never actually came out and said, I am God, there are many places in which he implicitly uh, says, it, or at least implies very strongly, uh, that he is. And so we'll look at a few of those. Luke chapter 5. Starting verse 17 says, On one of these days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the, pr the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And so you see the, what the, the conclusion they're drawing is that Jesus is blaspheming. He's claiming to be God uh, because he is saying, I can forgive your sins. Verse 22, When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? So, you, you know, if Jesus didn't want them thinking that he was claiming to be God, he could have just corrected them. Uh, he could have said, well, no, I'm not God, but I do have authority to forgive sins. He could have, you know, somehow clarified that. Instead, he says, 
uh, it, it, which is easier, to forgive someone's sins or to make somebody who, who's paralyzed walk again? And so verse 24, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. And so basically Jesus says, if you're doubting that I am God and that I have the authority to forgive sins, here's proof. And he heals the person on the spot. And so he doesn't correct their assessment that only God can forgive sins. Rather, he proves that he is that God by this miracle. Uh, John 10, verse 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him, which that cracks me up a little bit. I always just kind of thought, I read that as though uh, the Jews wanted to stone him, or they said this man should be stoned. But it says they actually picked up the stones, like they were ready to go, uh, because Jesus had said this. So they obviously took this as him saying that he's God. Verse 32, Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Okay, and then um, probably one of the most explicit references where Jesus claims to be God is John 8, verse 56. Okay, John 8, verse 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. The Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old. Have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Ego eimi in Greek is the, the exact same translation, the Septuagint, of you know, that famous Old Testament story where Moses asked God, What is your name? And he says, I am that I am. Very same thing uh, Jesus is claiming to be that God that pre-existed you know, Abraham, that, that was uh, eternal in other words. And so verse 59, again, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself, went out of the temple. And so uh, did Jesus claim to be God? He may have not said it in those words, but yes, he very clearly implied and understood himself to be divine, uh, so much so that on multiple occasions the Jews tried to kill him for blasphemy. Uh, John 1, verse 1. Look at a few other references to the uh, the deity of Christ. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then dropping down to verse 10, he was in the world, the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. You can read that whole prologue uh, yourself, and you can trace through and see all of the things said about Jesus. Clearly, he is equal with God distinct from the Father, and yet you can see even in that verse 10 that the one who came into the world as Jesus, and verse 14 clarifies we're talking about Jesus, right? The Word became flesh, dwelt among us. Um, that Word that became flesh, the world was made through him. Uh, so there you see John is claiming that Jesus is the Creator. And again, if we had more time, I'd go a little bit further on that, but we need to move quickly here. John 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, this is after the resurrection, uh, Jesus appears to the eleven, well I guess it would be the ten disciples, right, because Jesus is dead at this point. Uh, but Jesus appears to uh, ten of the disciples, Thomas was not there when Jesus came, this is after his resurrection, verse 25, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. He said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. 
Verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Again, uh, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And again, if Jesus was not God, he could have very easily corrected Thomas. But instead, in verse 29, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen yet believed. So there's no correction there. He accepts the worship of Thomas when he says to Jesus, you are my God. Uh, Hebrews 1. This is another uh, very good Trinitarian passage. And it's a good proof for the deity of Christ. Hebrews 1, starting in the very first verse, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God, which would be the Father, spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And so you see the Son is appointed by the Father, the heir of all things, and he was involved in the creation of everything that exists. Therefore, the Son obviously is eternal. Verse 3, speaking of Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Very important phrase. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so the one who died and who sits at the right hand of the Father, which is clearly Jesus, is said to be the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Verse 4, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And so the argument there is that if Jesus is God's son, that means he shares the exact same nature. He's not like other heavenly beings like angels. Okay, uh, Jesus, God never said of any of the angels, you're my beloved son. So there's a closer connection between the father and son than anything else in creation. Uh, they're on the same level of existence. Verse 6, again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Another reason Jesus cannot be a created um, being like an angel is because God commands all the angels to worship Jesus. And, and over and over you see in Scripture where God says, worship me alone, I don't allow anyone else to take my glory. So if he's, he's commanding that people and angels worship uh, Jesus, then that says to us that Jesus is clearly God. Verse 7. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, so you see the angels, uh, they're servants of God, they do his will, they just kind of, they're messengers. But of the Son, he says, this is a quotation from Psalms, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. And so this is the Father speaking of Jesus, and he calls him God. Okay, verse 9. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And so if you read those two verses, it would seem like you have two gods. You've got Father God, you've got Son God. And again, we've talked about that in the past, how uh, you know Scripture tells us there's only one God. But one thing you see here clearly is they are both equally God. The Father calls the Son God. 
uh, in verse 8. Okay, uh, backing up a bit to what Hebrews said earlier about the Son of God means that Jesus is equal with the Father, the same nature with the Father. Um, some have interpreted Son of God to mean inferiority, as though he is uh, somehow less than the Father. That is not at all true. That is also not the way the Jews understood this. John 5 verse 18 says, uh, This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. So they understood that when Jesus said, I am the Son of God, that he was making himself, he was claiming equality with the Father. Another reference, John, uh, Acts 20, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves, to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he, who's the he? It would be God, obtained with his own blood. Well, who's that? can only be Jesus. Okay, so I mentioned in the past that normally in the New Testament, God is shorthand for the Father. Here, it's clearly an exception, though, because God is said to have been the one who purchased the church by dying. So he purchased it with his own blood. That can only be Jesus. And so you've got another uh, inference there that Jesus is God. So those are all some um, implicit passages where you can pretty easily get to the deity of Christ. I'm going to give you three, however, um, that are explicit places in the Bible. If you're looking, you know, if a Jehovah Witness knocks on your door or something and says, tries to get you all wrapped up in circles that Jesus is not God, uh, what are just some go-to references where there's no logical arguments or anything? It just says Jesus is God. Here's three. Romans 9, verse 5. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all. Blessed forever. Amen. Next one, uh, 2 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So again, God and Savior, Jesus, same person, both titles. Uh, very similar construction in Greek, Titus 2.13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So those would be three references where Jesus is said to be God. Yes. The first one is Romans 9.5. Christ, who is God over all. And then you have 2 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, Titus 2.13, almost the exact same phrase there, that Jesus is um, God and Savior. Okay, so those would be just some three explicit references. Now, let's talk about... I think we have time to cover this one uh, problem text, and this is one that uh, a lot of people get tripped up on, Colossians 1.15. Speaking of Jesus, Paul writes, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. What does that seem to imply when you just first read it? What, what would be the problem here? Right, so it may sound like Jesus is a created being, uh, that he was maybe the first of all the created beings or something. Okay. Um, I don't have time to go to Hebrews 1.6. If you want to write these down as good explanations for what firstborn is doing here, Hebrews 1.6 and then Psalm 89.27 would be good um, go-to references. Firstborn sometimes is used uh, as what's called the firstborn of privilege. Okay, so um, I have a few quotes here from James White's book. He has a very thorough explanation of this text that's very good. I'll 
read as much as I can here. Uh, Firstborn came to be a title that referred to a position rather than a mere notion of being the first one born. This is seen in many, in numerous passages in the Old Testament. For example, in Exodus 4.22, God says that Israel is my son, my firstborn. Obviously, Israel is not the first nation God created, but is instead the nation that he has chosen to have a special relationship with. Uh, the same thought comes out much later in Jeremiah 31.9, where God again uses this kind of terminology when he says, For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Such language speaks of Israel's relationship to God and Ephraim's special status in God's sight. But certainly, the most significant passage, and one that is uh, probably behind Paul's usage here in Colossians, is Psalm 89.27. I also shall make him my firstborn. So this is speaking of Jesus. I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. If you're familiar with Hebrew poetry, you often have parallelism, where the first line is explained by the second. And so God says of Jesus in Psalm 89:27, I will make him my firstborn, here's the explanation, the highest of the kings of the earth. Uh, James White goes on to say, this is a highly messianic psalm, note verse 20, the use of the word anointed. Uh, in this context, David, as the prototype of the coming Messiah, is described as God's uh, protokatos, the firstborn. Again, the emphasis is plainly upon the relationship between God and David, not David's creation. David had preeminence in God's plan and was given leadership and authority over God's people. In the same way, the coming Messiah would have preeminence, but in an even wider arena. So this is the firstborn, a privilege. The emphasis here is uh, not in the idea of birth, but is on the first part of that word, uh, protos, which in Greek means the first or the most important, the primary. And so... The word here is stressing the superiority, the priority of Jesus. Not that he was the firstborn, that he was the first to come into existence. Rather, it's saying God has elevated him and given him pre uh, preeminence over all the earth. Um, and if you want to see uh, that flushed out further, just read the next verse, right? So if you just read verse 15. Okay, he's the, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. You might think, well, he's a created being. He's somehow less than God. But Paul makes that impossible if you just keep reading. Verse 16, for, so because of what he just said, this is a further explanation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Now, does that sound like a created being, or does that sound like the creator God? Okay, this is clearly, um, you, you can't say Jesus was created by God and also say all things were created through him and for him. Uh, verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And there you see the connection between the term firstborn uh, Protoss, he's the first, he's the preeminent one. For in him, verse 19, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So rather than this text disproving the deity of Jesus, it's actually a very good text to show the deity of Jesus. That in Jesus Christ, the one who was before all things, the one who created all things, in him all the fullness of God dwelled. Um, a lot of these texts, if somebody ever tries to, and I've had this happen before, where I don't know if it was a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness that uh, 
they'd bring up these texts, these individual verses, where it can seem like Jesus is not God. But almost always, if you just keep reading, <laughs> Paul very clearly and explicitly explains, no, Jesus is definitely God. Colossians is one of the, um, the best books to read on the deity of Christ. It's three little chapters, and yet it's just over and over and over again proving that Jesus is God. Uh, for example, this will be the last couple of verses I think we'll get to. Colossians 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elements, uh, elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Uh, that's a great little verse on the deity of Jesus. He was fully God. He was not... Um, He's not just an exalted human. He was not half God, half human. The fullness of deity dwelled in Jesus Christ. Any questions? I have one minute. Any questions? Pretty clear. I know I felt like I'm just pounding the same thing over and over again, but this is uh, very important. Yes. Yeah, Hebrews 1.6. Um, I think the most important would be Psalm 89, 27. And if you read all of Psalm 89, you'll see the flow here and, and what's being talked about, that God has exalted Christ above all the nations, given him the authority to rule. It's not at all saying Jesus was the first created being. Um, so Psalm 89, 27, Hebrews 1, 6. And then if you want to see other places, there are many other references where that terminology is used. The reason I point to those two is they're both talking about Jesus specifically. But Exodus 4.22, Jeremiah 31.9 would be other references uh, where this term is used in a similar way. But good question there.